Welcome to Be a B2B Leader, your B2B knowledge base. In this podcast, we'll show you what you have to learn to be a modern leader in the B2B world. Because true leaders are made, not born. Hello, I'm Felician and today my guest is Mason Cosby, the Director of Growth at Gravity Global and the host of the Marketing Ladder, where he interviews top marketing leaders to learn how they build their careers. In this episode, you will learn why you have to step out of your comfort zone to advance in your career, why it's important to try out new things outside of your job, and what many leaders of today's marketing have in common. I'm very happy to have you here today, Mason. Felician, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm excited for our conversation. So let's get started. Mason, what do you think? What should every B2B leader know if they want to step into a leadership position? For starters, I think that there needs to be even the acknowledgement early in your career that that's where you want to go. I mean, that's where that you want to step into a leadership role because I feel that many times marketers assume that people want to step into a CMO role eventually. And I, I've had numerous conversations with people that were that have said, I'm actually really happy in my individual contributor role. And I want to take a second to say that's absolutely a great place to be and not to overuse the word of normalize it, but I, I don't think everybody needs to step into leadership. I don't think that that's a requirement to advance your career. So I want to start there. But if you do have the recognition of, I want to step into a leadership, a VP, a CMO level role, um, then you need to be more than just a marketer, Chris Walker has put it as you need to be a business professional that specializes in marketing. So it's understanding how marketing connects to the larger business and it's it's less actual marketing strategy and it's business level strategy and how marketing plays into the actual growth of the business. That's very interesting because uh, they, te- they don't teach us that at schools. Like no. they don't teach you that at courses. So. I, I would... Sorry, this is a, another soapbox because I've learned everything that I know about marketing, not from my degree in marketing, but from the practical experience of actually doing it. So I feel like there's a there's a gap in the education um, from a from a degree perspective, but that's probably a soapbox for another day. Yeah, well, I didn't study marketing at all. Like I was studying German linguistics, so you know I can speak German, but I didn't know anything <laughs> about marketing like five <laughs> years ago. So, yep. It's also a different case. And I think that's also interesting that many people find their way into marketing from the outside world, so to say. Like they didn't they weren't connected. Like in my case, I was an intern at the company that was doing business with German companies and they needed someone to help in marketing and translating documents and stuff like that. Once I got into it, oh the world changed basically. Yeah. 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 Would you say Just that to... successful leaders step into positions when they aren't qualified? I would argue that anybody stepping into a role that's it's their first time into a role, doesn't matter how many books you read, doesn't matter how much you prepare, there's probably a level which you're still unqualified. I Not to, to draw this as a direct one-to-one, but I mean, is anybody ever really truly married or truly ready to get married or are they truly ready to become a parent? And I would venture that again, no matter how many books you read, no matter how much you try to be prepared, there's a level at which you still just have to step into being married or being a parent to actually become qualified. 
So I, I think that the same applies to your career of if it's your first time stepping into a leadership role, it is unlikely that you are truly qualified to to stand in that role fully until you've been doing that role. So again, I I think that there is a balance. You want to step into it somewhat cautiously and transparently, but I think you step into it recognizing that this is going to be a learning experience for everyone, including the leader. Sometimes people think they want to step into a leadership position, but when they see how much they have to do and how much they have to learn in order to be good leaders, they decide that being a sole contributor is better for them. And I, I also think we should, to some extent, recognize that that, I don't know how else to say it, but essentially your entire career is kind of an experiment. And I want to, I want to, I want people to recognize that when you step into a role, you were, you were saying from the outset, I think I will like this. I think I will be good at this, but I won't know until I've tried. And there've even been people in the company that I work for that stepped into leadership roles, did it for six months and then had the ability to say, this is not good for me. Like, I'm not good at this. Like, this is not my strong suit. I think I need to go back to being more of an individual contributor. And then they did. So it's it's this balance between those that are existing leaders that are helping raise up new leaders to have those transparent conversations to say, let's see how this goes. And let's see if you enjoy it. Let's see if, again, you have a knack for it. And if you do, let's double down, maybe get you some additional training. And if you don't, that's okay. Let's put you into a role where you thrive best, which may not be leadership. And I want to, I really want to emphasize that that might be okay for you. If that's what you like, why should you force yourself to be, yeah, to lead people? Like, it's not for everyone. Like, there are problems that you will have to solve and problems that aren't connected at all with you but you will have to help others. And I think that sometimes people are afraid to step down from those leadership positions. Like they don't have that humility and it's hard for them because they, yeah, maybe they feel worse about themselves. Maybe it's the world we created over the last decades. Because if, if we think through career progression, most people think about eventually leading a team. They think about focusing on these high level you know, objectives versus being in the the nitty gritty details of execution. That's kind of, most people that I talk to, that's where they want to end up. So the idea that you would end up in a leadership role and then consciously make the choice to say, actually, I want to get back down into the details feels like a step back, even if it's what you know is best for you and for the rest of the team. So again, that's that's kind of why I'm on this soapbox as of as of late. Of not everybody needs to be in leadership. There need there needs to be a balance there. And if you try leadership and you recognize that this is not your strong suit, and again, the balance to nuance is nobody is fully qualified to step into leadership their first time in a leadership role. So it's not that you're just not great at it at first. Because I've I've been in leadership roles where I've failed. I wasn't a good leader. But I also know that long term, as I grow, I will become a better leader because I have certain knacks for it and I enjoy it. And most of the time it works out decently well whenever I step into those roles. While also nuancing it with 
if you don't have the knack, if you're not good at it and you don't enjoy it, then it's okay. And you don't need to step into that role. You don't need the additional training, maybe stay as an individual contributor. Like yesterday I've heard this nice quote that education is knowledge, but training is experience. And when you step in that leadership position, it's basically like going to the gym and training your muscles and you get better and better over time. But yeah. yeah, you have to put in the time and it will be damn hard sometimes. You won't have the the motivation to do it, basically. Yeah. Another way that I've heard it put is the difference between being smart and being wise. Like many, there are a ton of really young marketers that are killing it right now. Because they're just really smart. Like they're digital natives. They get how how people work, but they're not wise because they haven't been doing this for a decade to understand how marketing is affected by macroeconomic environments. Like those things haven't happened yet for them. So again, they're incredibly smart. They have a knack for marketing and many of them even have a knack for leadership and have stepped into those leadership roles, but they lack the true wisdom because they haven't been doing it from an experience perspective. So again, if you are smart and you have a knack for something, fantastic. Double and triple down on those things, get the additional training. But if you, and by getting that training, you'll become wise and even better. So that's that's in my mind, some of the nuances. I love this point. Like I will have to write it down or turn it into a post on social. <laughs> Good, love that. Yeah. And Mason, do you think that the leaders, yeah, the modern leaders, should have something separate from their day job, like a podcast, a side hustle, whatever? So, uh, some additional context that we that I, I should provide is um, on on my podcast. At this point, I've interviewed about ninety different marketing leaders in the past nine months, between again VPs, CMOS, and very rapidly growing career professionals. And almost all of them at some point in their career had something else that they fully owned, whether it be just a podcast um, or, again, building their own social personal brand presence, or many of them had freelance consulting businesses, or many of them um, actually built up full-scale agencies that were then acquired, and then they moved into maybe brand-side marketing. So again, I, I think that the leaders that are the most successful that I have seen are those that have something else. Because when you think about your marketing budget, if you're in a marketing seat and you understand the budget for better and for worse, it, you don't necessarily feel the pain if that budget doesn't work in a way that a business owner does. Like if the budget is spent on an ad campaign that returns very little as a marketer, you're like disappointed and you're frustrated, but you're not like in physical pain. Whereas when you're a business owner and you spend money that doesn't return much of anything, there's a legitimate physical pain because it's not just that you lost money. It's that you deployed dollars that should have been used to get you more dollars. And it could have been spent somewhere else that could have gotten a better return. And if you are only ever in a brand side marketing seat where you don't feel that, in even in a small way, it doesn't have to be a huge amount of money. But I mean, if you're on a side hustle and you spend a thousand dollars that makes no money back, that hurts. So that that experience of understanding 
and having the financial literacy of what's being entrusted to marketing teams makes you a better leader because again, you're more cautious and more careful with the decisions and you're not, again, for better and for worse, I think marketers kind of lean into things and say like, this is just a test. We'll, we'll try it out. But again, if you go to a, to a business center and you say, I'd like to do a $20,000 test, like that hurts. <laughs> that hurts if it doesn't work. Yeah. And granted those things are, are like those tests are needed, but there has to be a better way to approach those conversations, to build that trust, to start small. Again, not to look at just through a marketing lens and say, well, this makes sense because these are the CPMs. And, you know, if we tested it this way, then we could probably generate this level of return when you have no existing data to back it up. Because again, it's not just $20,000 for marketing, it's $20,000 for a business that could be deployed any number of ways to help the business overall. Mm-hmm. And when you have someone on the side, you get that. Like, I believe that as marketers, we should basically learn as much as we can about the business and not mm-hmm. stick to the marketing bubble. Because yeah, when you stick to it, you will see that someone run that campaign. Someone, yeah, for example, I know a lot about Snowflake because I follow them. I see what they do and it's great. Like it's actually the top-notch marketing that you can do to grow a company, but it won't work for everyone. Like if you try to imitate them, you will probably fail and just burn yeah. money. So by learning more about the business in general and how, how money works, how people make decisions in your industry, like even the sales cycles, they change from industry to industry. Like it's not so straightforward. Not all marketing results are tangible. So for example, if you build the brand, like you won't see the, re- yeah, the ROI in a month or two. Like it takes yeah. time. So what can we do to say that this expense makes sense? I personally have focused on, I think I saw this from Kyle Lacey at one point where you spend, you know, 75 to 80% of your budget on essentially revenue marketing. That is, mm-hmm. you know, very clear, very tangible, very dollar in dollar out kind of stuff, because that from a VC perspective, from executive team, most executive teams, that's what they want to see is they want marketing to become this, generally speaking, a machine that again, you can put the dollars in, you have an anticipated return on investment and you understand your conversions across the funnel. That's great. The other 20 to 25% though is spent on things we're not going to measure. And again, if you have 70 to five to 80% of your budget allocated to highly measurable, highly effective revenue generating things, then you get the freedom to have that budget to experiment. And to, to give you the example of what Kyle Lacey had done when he was at Lessonly is he would like send golden llamas to target accounts. And that was the way that they built brand. And if you go on Lessonly's website, like their chatbot is a llama. Like they have their whole, something about their brand is llama. I, and I don't, Again, it's it's just a quirk about them. And that worked. It's super great for them. And it came through that 20 to 25% of their budget that was not focused on measurable marketing results, but was focused on how do we be how do we start and build a conversation in our industry and for our targeted audience that gets them talking. And again, if you're top of mind and you're talking, it's hard to measure that. 
but you can feel it in your sales conversations and it ends up impacting those that 75 to 80% of your budget that is dedicated towards highly measurable things. I love this example. <laughs> like, it's it's I mean, perfect. And it worked. Lessonly was acquired by Seismic yeah. after five and a half years. Again, like... <sighs> it's all thanks to the llama. <laughs> Honestly, it is a big part. And I, like, I know that sounds ridiculous, but if you look at anything that Kyle has done over the past five and a half years, a llama always shows up. And I don't know, I, again, I don't know why, but it's like a staple of Lessonly and it built brand. And again, I, when you asked me the question, how do you, they were the first example that came to mind. That's good marketing. Yeah. And that's the marketing we should do basically. Like mm-hmm. if your total addressable market, market are, let's say 500 companies and they recognize you with a llama, you have that association will pop up every time. Every time mm-hmm. they see a llama, they will think of your brand. And the yeah. same applies to colors, to shapes, and yeah, all that stuff. Like, if you have a strong brand positioning, you know, like you have a, a good brand book. So, you're like, I forgot the exact word. But <laughs> no, I mean, the, the, the overall colors and iconography of your brand should make your brand recognizable. And again, another example that comes to my mind. I had this conversation with Karina Owens over at Gong. And yeah, I, I know, thought about them too. <laughs> yeah, like I think it's 70 to 80% of tech companies, their colors are blue. And Gong is like pink and purple and like really light reds. And the whole purpose behind that was to build a brand that was fun and would stand out. And they've, as they're moving more enterprise, they've kind of muted some of the tones, but it's still like the bright overall colors and it's not the same shade of blue that 70 to 80 percent of tech companies are currently using like if you look at any tech company it's mostly blue and Mm -hmm. most of their websites look the same most of their posts look the same social media like everything and that came from a good place because blue gives a, a sense of calm and peace and stability and like from a color theory and um, color psychology perspective, blue makes sense, but then everybody used blue. So then it yeah. becomes a sea of sameness. Whereas what Gong did was it recognized from a color psychology perspective, yes, blue would be the right color. But as we look at the market as a whole, we don't want to join that sea of sameness. We want to be different. So let's do something. We're not going to make a business level decision based off of one component to brand. It was a smart decision at the right point. So and now it reflects everywhere. And I want to jump back a bit to your podcast because you interviewed today's leaders of marketing. You had some great guests and I want to ask you, what do they all have in common besides having something besides their day job? I mean, separately from their, from their day job, everyone that I've talked to has this kind of aha moment. Because if, if we think about marketing, marketing in today's digital sense didn't really exist 15 years ago, arguably even a decade ago, um, or even more. I mean, some people are, are saying that the modern marketing that we're doing today didn't exist five years ago. So when you look at this through the lens of these people are 15, 20, 30 years into their career, 
doing something radically different than what they started in, they all had a moment where something clicked for them. And then they decided, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to go all in on this for the foreseeable future. And it may not have even been in their day job. It may have been in that side hustle. The number of people I've spoken with that have become CMOs because they were building their own side business and they just had to get really good at marketing. And then they realized, oh, I love marketing. Those are the stories that always come through. Um, I mean, in 90 interviews, I think I've had less than 10 people say, yeah, I I knew I was going to do marketing when I graduated from college. I knew marketing would be my career. So for every single person, there's just somewhere along the way, along the way where they have that moment of like, I love marketing and I'm going to dedicate the rest of my career to this. That's interesting because it's also a hard decision sometimes to make, like, Many people don't understand marketing. They don't want, know what it is. Like whenever someone asks me what I do, like I say, yeah, I help companies be known in the niche yeah. that we serve. And like, what does that mean? Like, for us, it's obvious, but other people, like they think that we run Facebook ads and that's it. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing of interest, just as I think through it, is many of them came from a sales background and recognized, you know, I can make an impact with sales, but I can change an industry with marketing. And it's, it's the recognition of if I want to make massive changes long-term that can be done in sales, but you're essentially doing it on a one-to-one basis. Whereas in marketing, you're doing it to thousands of people. So many of them recognized in themselves that they wanted to make a larger impact than they could in just a sales seat and transitioned over into marketing. That's a very good point. Like I know a few people that transitioned from sales to marketing and like from that point, their career basically blew up. Like they started growing like crazy because they knew how to, yeah, how to sell. But at the same time, they learned principles on how to reach the whole audience instead of, building a one-to-one relationship it just amplified their reach and amplified their brand and yeah this way they either started their own businesses because they knew how to grow them extremely fast yeah or they stepped into positions that basically they don't have to work anymore if they want to stop yeah i i think the most dangerous marketers are those that know how to sell and what's been (laughs) i think incredibly interesting is looking at the most successful salespeople today and recognizing that they're incredible copywriters that are leveraging tools like LinkedIn or a podcast and they're doing marketing activities as a salesperson. So I I don't know if you're familiar with HypeCycle, but their whole theory is that really it's not marketing and sales anymore. It's just revenue team members. Um, and that, again, the best marketers are those that know how to sell and the best sellers are those that know how to market. Do you think that more people from sales will see that they should transition a bit to marketing? I think that's what we're seeing. Um, because in the midst of COVID, I mean, the not to bring everything back to COVID, but I mean, it was a, a literal global pandemic that affected a lot of our the areas of our life. But to give you context, like growing up, my mom was in sales and 
did pharmaceutical sales for Johnson and Johnson and her entire sales strategy was going to doctor's offices locations and talking directly to a doctor to sell them a medication. COVID hit, you couldn't do that. So then all these people that were in sales that were really actually not salespeople were just highly effective communicators recognized, okay, if I use the internet, I can still effectively communicate and get a message out there and get a message across. And suddenly, because it's on the internet and it's at scale, we call it marketing. So I, I just think that, again, because of the shift that we've seen, because of the need to go digital, highly effective communicators that happen to sit in a sales seat because sales paid a lot more than marketing did, mm-hmm. have started to transition into marketing because companies are recognizing that good marketing is far more valuable than a single salesperson could ever be because of the scale that marketing provides. Still a lot of business owners have to recognize that. that Marketing isn't what it used to be. It's not just billboards and you're running advertisements. It can impact the whole business. And the same with salespeople. Like if sales and marketing work together, we know dreams can come true. (laughs) Yeah. And before people are like, ah, this guy just hates on sales. Like, my my shift from director of marketing to director of growth in the past three months is that I also now own our sales process. So like I run marketing and I, I sell services. So like I'm in both seats. I'm coming from a place of I'm also selling. So this is not me just like hating on salespeople. Like I'm in the boat too. And having been in a sales seat prior where I had no marketing support and I didn't know how to do marketing versus now being in a sales seat again, having understood how to do marketing, the selling is far more effective, closing at higher percentages and higher deal values because of highly effective marketing. Okay, and what's your take on transitioning from marketing to sales? So I have, I mean, based on the fact that I work at a marketing agency, there's a bit of a nuance there because as a marketer that transitioned back into a sales seat, Essentially, I'm just having a peer-to-peer conversation around what we would do to to grow a business. And again, being someone that has been running marketing in this current environment, it's it's coming from a place of having done it like right alongside people. So I think that is different than what most salespeople experience because you know if, if I were to transition from a marketing director at a marketing agency to a sales seat at like a financial technology company. And I don't know that this would be nearly as effective as it currently is from a perspective of I come in as a, as a peer. The transition obviously for me has not been a difficult one, but I think if I were to change industries, there would be a lot more nuances that I could offer um, that I just at, at this moment don't feel super, super qualified to, uh, to directly answer. <laughs> For example, I don't see myself in a sales seat just because yeah, I love marketing. I want to, I can do sales as part of my job, so to say, but I don't want to transition fully. Yeah. And I mean, I, I will say that that has been a very interesting transition through that lens because no matter how much, as a salesperson, I'm odd in the sense of like, I, I've removed myself from the results. So if somebody doesn't want to buy, I'm not like, I'm not chasing them down. We have mm-hmm. enough demand 
that, hey, look, we, we've got a great program. We have proven results. We've got a proven process. If you would like us to use our process to get you these results, we're happy to do it and we'd love to do it. Here's the price. And if they go for it, fantastic. And again, we're closing at like, I think right now our, our pipeline close rate is close to 40 or 45% nice. from discovery to to one because we have that good of case studies and results that we can demonstrate. Um, so again, I'm just, the transition from marketing to sales has been exponentially easier because I came in essentially as a subject matter expert. So again, if you're a subject matter expert transitioning into sales, it's not a, it's not a super difficult transition because it's really just consultative. Whereas if you're not a subject matter expert transitioning from marketing into a sales seat, um, there, there could be some difficulties with that because again, to, to give you additional context as a marketer, I maybe had, you know, five to eight hours of meetings on a weekly basis. And mm -hmm. now I'm upwards of 25 to 30 hours of, of meetings because yeah. I'm just constantly talking with people. That's a huge difference. But Mason, what would you say? What's the biggest takeaway from our conversation today? I think the biggest takeaway would just be if you want to move into a leadership role, then you need to build something because one, a number of reasons, it's just going to help you better understand the business as a whole. But the other thing that I've found is interesting is I've had these conversations is many marketers struggle to demonstrate the results that they personally have been able to provide because they were on a much larger team. So it's like, well, did, did you really do that? Or was that because you were part of this team? Whereas when you build something on the side, there's no question. Like you were a solo person that built it. So whatever results or lack of results, it's all you. And again, coming into a conversation where you can demonstrate, you know, I built this podcast that in the first year had a hundred episodes and got, you know, 10,000 downloads and actually started to generate a little bit of a, you know, an ad revenue, um, got a couple of sponsorships just in the first year, you know, mm -hmm. with five hours a week, I was able to generate $30,000 in side income as an example. That's really impressive. Like that's insanely <laughs> impressive. Um, because again, it's, it's five hours a week on this side. And if you can come in having that conversation, it's, I don't think that that will make or break you getting a job opportunity, but it certainly helps you stand out and demonstrates that you are not just someone that is going to just do exactly as you're told, but that you're someone that is entirely oriented around generating results, which is why people get hired. I love this. It's a great takeaway. So please tell me, where can people find you and what do you do? Um, to find me, I would highly recommend checking out LinkedIn. I post there at this point, I'm posting like three times a day. Um, I don't know that that will maintain. I've just had a, I've just I had a streak. Um, so I, I'm posting a lot on LinkedIn. Um, and then I also have my own marketing careers podcast called The Marketing Ladder. And I, I was at one point publishing two episodes a week. But uh, when you get acquired and then change roles, there's a lot going on in, in my professional life. So we back that down to, to one episode a week at this moment. Um, and then what, what do I do? I mean, professionally, I work at... Gravity Global, which is the world's most awarded B2B agency. So if you are a B2B company looking for global scale, we are quite literally the only agency that has the global scale and the global footprint that can do everything under one roof. 
So again, if you want the full spectrum of marketing services in the B2B context, we are your option. So what I do for that team is I'm over business development for our dedicated team to account-based marketing. So if you don't want a full spectrum of services, but you want best in class ABM, I'm also the person to talk to. Um, and then finally, I just really genuinely enjoy connecting and helping people online. And if you are looking for a job, if you are looking for resources on how to grow your career or how to get better at account-based marketing, just connect with me and shoot me a message. And I'm, I'm happy to connect with you and figure out how I can best serve. I can confirm that Mason posts some great content and that he does it a few times per day because whenever I go to LinkedIn, I have a notification. Mason Cosby post. It's Mason Cosby post. And so, All I'm saying is from the lens of a seller, it is the best way to keep frequent contact with your ideal customers. And you, you can self-source a lot of pipeline. Final, final thought, if you're a seller or a marketer, Regardless, in the past 12 months through LinkedIn, because of just that frequent posting, I've generated about 1.6 million in pipeline that is closed, many of which it, it, a lot of it is still open at this moment. Um, but I have $800,000 in closed one revenue. So from the pipeline that I've self-sourced for the past year, um, I'm closing at 50% as of this moment. But again, much of that is still open. So I think that my overall close rate from self-source LinkedIn pipeline will be probably about 70%. If someone from sales is listening to this podcast, that's a stat that you should write down and see the power of LinkedIn for yourself. And a lot of that started as a marketer, passing it over to sales. So to be clear, of like even if you're a marketer, you can start to source pipeline for your team and pass it over. And that's also a great way to become a leader because you as an individual contributor have become a revenue driving engine through your own personal brand that then impacts the bottom line for your company. And that's how you get promoted quickly. And Mason, last question for today. Who should I interview next? Um, I don't know if you've interviewed Kathleen Booth. Kathleen is the CMO over at Tradeswell. She's fantastic. Another person. Uh, I know that I know that you've gotten connected um, with a couple of people that, I, that have already been on my podcast, but another person to connect with would be Arthur Castillo, who is the, I think, head of dark social and evangelism at Chili Piper. So those two people are amazing. Awesome. I will definitely reach out to them. So thank you for today. It was awesome. And see you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be a B2B Leader. I'm your host, Valician, and I would love to hear from you and learn what I can improve. If you liked this episode, make sure to leave a review on your favorite podcast app. And see you next time.